RP Fighting Blindness, number 104, autumn 2002, the newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Sandra Burrows, Lynn Clifton, David Pickering and Terry Penny. We are all members of the Old Jailers Music and Drama Group from Buckingham. In this issue, Editorial, 100 Club, AGM 2002, Prize Draw Results, Orange Listens, Eastbourne, Welfare News, Deafblind News, Bowling Along, Rag Weekend, Parent Link Group, Branch News, Letters. BRPS is grateful to Lloyd's TSB PLC for sponsorship of this newsletter. Under our system for providing you with a taped version of the BRPS newsletters, you no longer need to return the tapes after you've listened to them. The British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, registered charity number 271729. The Honorary Secretary is Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. The telephone number is 01280-821-334 for office inquiries. The email address is linda, that's L-Y-N-D-A, at brps.demon.co.uk. The website address is www.brps.demon.co.uk. The welfare manager is Mrs Anne Fisher... 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, that's T-H-R-I-P-L-O-W, near Royston, Hearts, S-G-8-7-R-D. The telephone number is 01763-208045. The helpline number is 01280-860-363. Membership subscriptions, the single membership costs £10. Subscriptions, which are due on the 1st of January, should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins. I know we're moving towards gene therapy for RP. Not my words, but those of Professor Marshall at this year's AGM. The tone of the meeting was totally uplifting, with nothing but good news coming forward. As you will read in the report in this issue, we now have many of the techniques perfected, and the time when the authorities will allow clinical trials on RP to begin cannot be far away. The major breakthrough recently is that gene therapy has been shown to work on at least four babies with an inherited immune system problem. The most recent of these was in the past few months and will have cleared some of the doubts that could have hindered more general applications of gene therapy techniques. In sporting terms, we might now have turned the corner into the final straight. We're not there yet. There is still much work to do. But having reached this point, this bandwagon will take some stopping now. On the subject of work still to do, we have yet again in branch news a branch chairman asking where are the younger members willing to take on some of the work. We've asked this question so many times in the past few years, and many suggestions have been made. I take heart from the fact that a new branch has just been formed in London, 
run by young people full of enthusiasm. They are people in the same age group that started BRPS back in the 1970s, in the days when many of our branch committees were in their 20s and 30s, filled with enthusiasm and determined to kill this thing called RP, no matter how long it took. Let us hope that the spirit of these younger members now coming forward will inspire others in our many branches to have a go and take over some of the work from those whose hair, or what's left of it, is a little greyer than it used to be 25 years ago. From one who has just become officially an OIP, I wish you all a very happy, sunny and warm autumn. 100 Club by Colin MacArthur Linda Cantor and others have stated that they have a problem with the filling out of draw tickets. A suggestion was made by Linda of a 100 Club. If enough people were interested, this could be set up and run, as well as the national prize draw, for those who have difficulty with tickets, are unable to sell them or would just like a flutter while helping BRPS. The scheme would be run in the national newsletter every quarter. Participants, using standing orders, can buy a number for £2.50 per quarter, £10 per year, or any amount of numbers in multiples of £10. £10 will buy you one number for one year, i.e. four draws. Cash prizes would be given to the three numbers drawn, first, second and third, and the prize fund would consist of 60% of the total collected each quarter. This obviously means that 40% would go to the research fund. An example would be, if 1,000 members took part each quarter, £1,000 would be the first prize, £300 the second and £200 the third, leaving £1,000 for the research fund. Numbers would be allocated consecutively as standing orders are received and the number will stay the same for the duration. If you are interested in joining this scheme, please contact Head Office on 01280-821-334 and leave your name and address and how many numbers you wish to be allocated. If there is sufficient support, the scheme will start in the new year. The 26th AGM of the BRPS was held on the 29th of June 2002 in the Bloomsbury Suite of the Holiday Inn, Kings Cross, London. Around 150 people attended, with members travelling from most parts of the country, plus several people from abroad. The event was planned and supervised by our new AGM organiser, Alan Foster, and ran very smoothly. During the morning period, members were able to visit a variety of stands exhibiting useful equipment and giving guidance on various aspects of visual impairment. Exhibitors included Mediview, whose orange-tinted blue-block lenses proved as attractive as ever. The Force 10 company who provide CCTVs and similar equipment, including a video telescope which uses CCTV technology in a portable device about the size of a video camera. Concept Systems, who specialise in CCTV and computer software for use by visually impaired people. Choice Technology, who were demonstrating software packages to aid screen reading. CVIP, who were demonstrating voice diaries and label reading systems. Sense, 
S-E-N-S-E, who were available to offer advice to those with a dual impairment of RP plus hearing loss, and three of the exhibitors gave short talks during the morning period. After a lunch break, the AGM began with the business session. Apologies were received from the chairman, Sir Alan Rudge, who was out of the country, and in his absence, it was proposed that the chairman of the management committee, Roger Green, should chair the meeting. This was agreed. The minutes of the 2001 AGM were approved with no questions raised. The chairman reported that during 2001, six research grants were awarded, totalling around £580,000. The details of these are included in the trustees' report. There were two changes to the membership of the board during the year. Professor Alistair Fielder retired and was replaced by Professor Tony Moore. The management committee achieved all of the tasks set out in its annual management plan. The chairman reported that the next Retina International meeting will be in August in Japan and will be attended by a representative, Stephen Jones. We are most grateful for the newsletter funding provided by the Cloth Workers Foundation for the past three years and equally grateful that this sponsorship has been taken up by Lloyd's TSB Bank. The 2001 AGM was funded by a most generous sponsor who wished to remain anonymous. This year, we are equally indebted to the communications company Orange, who have sponsored this AGM. Their generosity has saved BRPS considerable expenditure. Thanks were also expressed for the continuous work carried out by the management committee, the branch officers, the helpline team and all the other volunteers who make our society viable. The accounts for the year ending December 2001 were then presented and explained by our honorary treasurer, George Thompson. He explained that the format in the published accounts had once again been changed to meet the latest requirements, but that an explanation was given in the many notes accompanying the accounts. There was an increase of £84,707 in donations from companies and trust funds. The Radio 4 appeal, read for us by Ralph Harris, brought in £12,000 and was one of the better results from this year's Radio 4 appeal series. Legacies increased by £106,694 over the previous year. Branch fundraising was slightly down on last year, but was still providing 26% of our income. Street collections brought in £51,000. On top of the tin-shaking league yet again were Hampshire, followed by Yorkshire and Grampian. Membership subscriptions and donations were £54,704. Total income for the year was £652,000. The main item of expenditure is grant funding. It is the policy of the Society to commit funding of these for one year only, although it is understood that subject to finances remaining healthy, we shall fund these for the full term of two or three years. If we fund all current grants to completion, which is our intention, the outlay will be £1.2 million. The year saw the end of the Section 64 grant, which has covered the expenses of a volunteer councillor at Moorfields. Education and welfare rose by £3,543, due mainly to the helpline training weekend. Secretarial costs rose by £7,791, due to salary increases and the fact that we have now lost our free office accommodation and have to rent. At the end of the year, total assets of the Society were £427,340. It was proposed that the auditors, Howarth Clark Whitehill, should be reappointed for the following year, and this was approved. The chairman reported that the vacancy for a trustee has now been filled with the appointment of Lord Donoghue, whose details are printed in the new Who's Who in BRPS. 
Three management committee posts were filled at last year's AGM, leaving the welfare and public relations posts subject to an election this year. Anne Fisher had agreed to stand again as welfare manager and was subsequently re-elected, but there were no applicants for the post of public relations manager, which remains open until a volunteer is found. The chairman closed by thanking Alan Foster for his work in organising this AGM and informed members that the next AGM will be in Bournemouth. He then invited questions. A number of questions arose regarding the Society's decision in respect of the counselling role undertaken by a voluntary worker within and under the supervision of Moorfields Eye Hospital. The chairman explained that following the Society's unsuccessful application for a third NHS Section 64 grant to fund relevant expenses, the trustees agreed to meet reasonable costs for one year, whilst discussions took place with Moorfields to secure continuity of funding. This has been extended for a further month. It has been suggested to Moorfields that since this voluntary worker was under their supervision, they should pick up ongoing expenses, such as travel, telephone, etc. But should they be unable to do so, they were invited to submit a grant application for such costs to BRPS. To date, in spite of reminders, such a request has not been received. The chairman promised the questioners that he would report their views on this matter to the next Board of Trustees meeting. Welfare. Our welfare manager, Anne Fisher, introduced the first speaker for the afternoon. He was David Feast, who is Welfare Rights Officer for the Charity Action for Blind People. Before Mr Feast's talk, Anne asked all members to ensure that their local hospital displayed a copy of the BRPS helpline poster, as this was the best way of introducing newly diagnosed people from all over the country to people within BRPS who could give them help, guidance and understanding. Mr Feast gave a very thorough explanation of the different categories of benefits available and the procedures for obtaining such benefits were appropriate. He explained that there were three main categories of benefit, non-means-tested, means-tested and contributory. In the first category, probably the most common is disability living allowance. Other benefits in this category are attendance allowance and invalid care allowance. The next group is that covering means-tested benefits. These are designed to help those who do not have enough money to live on or who are on a very low income. They also depend upon the level of savings that you have. The third group, contributory, in addition to the obvious ones like pension, includes such things as incapacity benefit. This latter is of particular interest to people with a progressive condition like RP who have been working for many years but whose sight gradually deteriorates. It is possible to claim benefits from all three categories, providing the governing criteria are met. Mr Feast went on to outline the types of benefit that a fair proportion of people with RP might be applying for. You need to be under 65 to apply for DLA, but attendance allowance is a benefit for people over 65 who have care needs. People on DLA upon reaching 65 do not change to attendance allowance, AA, 
as it is for people who claim for the first time after reaching 65. To qualify for AA, you will have to show that you need help with certain things, but this does not mean just in the home. It can mean help with crossing roads. There are two rates of AA, and visually impaired people usually qualify for the lower rate. Most people with visual impairment qualify for at least the lower component of DLA. Income support is means-tested and is designed to provide for basic living necessities. It can be used to top up low earnings. Housing benefit is run by local authorities and claims must be made to them. It is possible to obtain help with council tax, even though you do not qualify for housing benefit. Part of this benefit is the Disability Tax Reduction Scheme, which can lead to a lower rating category for your house. Incapacity benefit is only available to people who have worked and paid contributions in the past, but it is subject to certain tests, details of which were explained in leaflets distributed by Mr Feast. For people who are still able to work, there is advantage in applying for disabled person's tax credit. Its title is self-explanatory, but it is due to be phased out in April 2003. Mr Feast was thanked for such a clear and detailed explanation of an area of welfare that to many people seems to present a minefield of form filling. He was then inundated with questions on many details of applications and anecdotes of experiences with the authorities. In all cases, he was able to give detailed advice based upon his considerable experience in this field. Research Professor John Marshall introduced the speaker for the afternoon, Dr Robin Alley, who is working on the forefront of research in London, and Professor Tony Moore, who is available to assist with questions later. Dr Alley began by describing the work carried out by his group in London. RP results from a defect in any one of possibly 60 genes. Most of the genes responsible for the many forms of RP have now been identified, and in many cases the detail of their precise function established. Much of the research emphasis is now on the molecular geneticists who are developing gene therapies to counter the problem. Gene therapy is the introduction of healthy genes into the cells of patients to either correct or to ameliorate the effects of the disease. The method of introducing genetic material into cells in the eye uses vectors. These are genetically modified viruses which have a natural ability to introduce genes into cells where they introduce their own genes which reproduce within the cell. We now have the ability to neuter these viruses and use them to carry our prepared therapeutic genes into a cell. This process has been in use for several years and is now well proven. Two years ago in Paris, three children with a rare inherited immune disease were cured using gene therapy. This was the first recognised human case of total success in this field. Gene therapy is now proven and here to stay. We are seeing, at last, the beginning of the results of 20 years of hard work. Dr Alley and colleagues at Great Ormond Street have now used a similar process to treat a baby with the same condition, resulting in a complete cure. Experience in the use of gene therapy is now growing, and as a result of the current programme of development, Dr Alley is confident that it will not be too long before we are able to attempt the first gene therapy on a patient with RP. Some of the main requirements have already been met. We can engineer the viruses to carry the genes into the appropriate cells in the eye. We have shown that gene therapy can be used to restore retinal function in a type of mouse that suffers from RP and to slow degeneration in rats with a similar condition.
In the case of the RDS mouse, the outer segments of the photoreceptor cells failed to develop due to a gene malfunction, even though all the other genes needed to produce a healthy PR cell are carrying out their function normally. The introduction of the gene responsible for producing these outer segments has resulted in fully functioning PR cells developing. Very recently, a group led by Gene Bennett in the USA has used gene therapy to improve vision in a type of dog that develops RP. The RDS mouse and the RCS rat have different defects, but both of these are exhibited in some types of human RP. Trials on the RCS rat have shown that degeneration can be slowed by three to four months. This may not sound much, but in human terms, it suggests about eight to ten years. Screening may show that only a small percentage of human patients have the same defect, and the number suitable for treatment could be in single figures, but even one person treated would be a major breakthrough. Work is progressing well on the development of genes that encode neurotrophins, which slow the process of degeneration. Just five weeks ago, the team treated four dogs from a breed that suffers from a type of retinal degeneration very similar to RP. In each dog, only one eye was treated, and last week, tests showed that in the treated eye, in each case, there was a 20% improvement in vision over the untreated eye. It is believed that this difference will increase over the next few weeks. For several reasons, not the least being safety, there is still much work to be done before the first human patients are treated using these methods, but there is now a clear programme of work that will take us there. There is still work to be carried out on possible immune responses to the vectors currently developed or to the products of the gene that will be delivered. There must be systems to accurately control the effects of the gene that is delivered, a means of applying the brakes where necessary. There must also be continuing work on the disease processes that we need to treat. There are many types of RP and we need to have detailed knowledge of the process that takes place between the many different inherited genes issuing instructions and the final failure of the photoreceptor cells. In spite of all these hurdles to be overcome, Dr Ali predicted a limited clinical trial in two to three years. Let us hope that his prediction is correct. He ended by stating that tremendous progress had been made in gene therapy, particularly in the past year. It is now a clinical reality. He thanked the members of BRPS for their financial support of so many projects. Such support had brought us to the exciting situation that now exists. A summary by Professor Marshall, which echoed Robin Allen's optimism, was followed by questions. How will gene therapy be used to treat dominant and recessive RP? It appears that recessive will be easier, because recessive is caused by a lack of a gene product, so we need to introduce a working gene that will do the job. In the case of dominant RP, a dominant gene with a fault is producing the wrong gene product, a protein that is doing what it shouldn't. The treatment will have to disable the faulty gene before a correctly working gene can be introduced. One type of treatment that could be beneficial to both forms is that of introducing genes which encode neurotrophins to slow degeneration. Is it necessary to have tailor-made treatments for each type of RP? We have two alternatives. One is to develop a treatment for each type, which when perfected should be a total treatment for that specific type. The alternative involves treatment of a process that is not yet fully understood, the process which causes the secondary damage, beyond that caused by the initial protein fault. If that can be unravelled, it should be possible to develop treatments that would be beneficial to a range of types of RP. Why is X-linked more difficult to treat, and when cells have died, can they be brought back to life? 
We do not know enough about the basics of X-Link to say at this point that it will be any more difficult. One problem is the lack of an animal type that inherits through an X-Link path. With regard to cell regeneration, when rod cells have died they cannot be resurrected, but when cone cells fail to work they retain their structure for many years, suggesting that it may be possible to switch them on again. Because they have retained their structure, they will have all the necessary connections to the optic nerve system. Will the current work on stem cells eventually lead to cell regrowth? Stem cells are cells which exist in most parts of the body and which have the potential to become almost any functioning cell. They seem to be cells awaiting an instruction. They've been discovered in many parts of the body, including the eye. There are several groups working on stem cells, and a group at St Thomas's have produced long, thin cells which have many of the features of a rod cell and express rhodopsin, the light-sensitive chemical in a rod cell. If the stem cells are taken from a patient's own eye, the risk of rejection of the created cell will be almost eliminated. There are reports that a group in Japan have taken stem cells from the iris of a rodent and grown photoreceptor cells. How far have they progressed? They are making good progress. One of the problems with this work is the development of the medium in which the cells are grown to produce a particular cell type. This contains a complex mixture of neurotrophic agents and growth factors, and it is this content which has the greatest bearing on the type and quantity of cells produced. At present, we are producing long, thin cells which produce rhodopsin, but they do not have clearly defined light-sensitive portion and a means of plugging in. Will there be a blood test to determine which kind of RP you have? To determine whether it is recessive, dominant or X-linked, the family tree is usually sufficient. However, this will not tell us which of the many types of RP a patient has. For example, there are many variations of recessive. It is possible to take a blood sample, extract the DNA and find the gene fault. Unfortunately, the science is well ahead of the NHS provision. The screening centres to carry out this work do not yet exist. In order to develop gene therapy for the many types of RP, scientists need this information and the trustees of Moorfields have given £800,000 to set up a laboratory to carry out this work for research purposes. But on a national scale, we must have government funding. Is there any advance on retinal implants? These are very tiny electronic chips which carry an array of light-responding elements, each about one micron in diameter, but contained in a space about 10 microns diameter. This is incredible miniaturisation, but is still 10 times larger than a human photoreceptor cell. Most work in this field is in USA and Germany. The main problems are with the movement of the implanted device and attack by the chemicals in the eye. To date, no one has succeeded in persuading the device to make meaningful connections to the optic nerve system. Can tumours form in the jelly of the eye as a result of RP? Sometimes cells will break away from the retina, but tumour formation is not a feature of RP. One of the concerns regarding growth factors is that they may well cause excessive proliferation of cells, but in laboratory tests carried out so far, this has not happened. When tests are available, will it be possible to check whether a family member is a carrier? Yes, this will be possible once the nature of the fault in each particular type of RP is clearly identified. There are pressure groups that advocate no tampering with genes. Are they likely to inhibit our work? There is, from time to time, a negative attitude in the press towards this work, but this is offset by the reporting of positive progress in such cases as the recent successes in the treatment of immune deficiency. 
The general feeling is that the public accept gene therapy as a good thing and that the anti-groups are a small minority. Do animal rights groups pose a threat? Licensing of any work on animals is very tightly controlled in this country. Not only is every worker licensed, but every single experiment has to have its own licence. Spot checks are frequently made by inspectors. The animal rights people are a small but very vociferous group. Fortunately, most of our work is on rats and mice, and the animal rights people tend to concentrate more on larger, fluffy animals. The animals used in our work are natural sufferers from RP, and we are actually improving their sight. Will vitamins preserve retinal cells? Vitamin A is needed to produce rhodopsin. A very extensive trial in USA showed no convincing benefit for taking vitamin A pills. It is possible that one or two rare types of RP might benefit, but the trial did not show this. The vitamin A contained in a normal, healthy diet should be adequate to meet the needs of the retina. Vitamin A, taken in excess, can damage other organs, and it is vital that you seek medical advice before embarking on heavy doses. Professor John Marshall closed the meeting by thanking those responsible for making the day possible, and in particular Alan Foster, our new AGM coordinator, who planned a day that ran very smoothly. He thanked also the exhibitors and the speakers, and finally the telecommunications company Orange, for their total sponsorship of the event. The day closed with the annual draw by Colin and Linda MacArthur, the results of which are reported in these pages. Results Sheet National Prize Draw 2002 Ticket Number 28479 Prize One Week Self-Catering Holiday for Four Kindly Donated by Pontins Limited Was won by Mr and Mrs Falks, Manchester 07885 Trip to Disneyland Paris for four. Kindly donated by Harry Shaw City Cruise. Mrs Wiley, Bristol. One, two, four, five, four. VIP tour for four. Kindly donated by Woburn Safari Park. Mr and Mrs Davis, Borton on the Water. One, three, seven, oh, four. Four guest day passes, kindly donated by Alton Towers. James Beck, Banbury. 53346, £35 vouchers, kindly donated by Argos and Budgeon. Jerry Woodard, Halstead. Thank you to everyone who bought or sold tickets. Thanks to you, we received... £10,934.50 with just £1,053.17 expenses for postage and printing. This means that through your generosity we have now sent to the research fund the grand sum of £9,881.33. In the 10 years that the prize draw has been running it has raised a total of £97,500. Orange listens to BRPS members. Understanding the requirements and needs of customers with disabilities, including visual impairment, is high on the agenda of the sponsor for this year's BRPS AGM. Orange PCS supported this year's event for the first time. 
With over 12.7 million customers in the UK and a group customer base of 40.5 million, the company is acutely aware of its needs to ensure all customers are catered for, in particular those with special needs. Orange listened closely to the views and opinions of delegates attending this year's AGM to help identify what products and services individuals need and want. Information is already available in a range of formats, including large print, braille, and on audio cassette. It is hoped that these formats will soon be available in store at Orange shops across the UK. Work is already underway to ensure all employees who deal direct with customers receive training in dealing with customers with special needs. New handsets and accessories are currently being researched that will help those with disabilities utilize their mobile phones to the fullest extent. Voice message services, where customers can receive voice messages, updates on the latest news, sports, city information, entertainment, traffic, and travel, offer all users easy access to up-to-date information. Services such as Orange Ref Link enable sports fans to listen to action from the pitch, broadcast direct to spectators' headsets from a microphone worn by the referee. Live match commentary can also be broadcast to headsets. Text messaging services offer a range of information and news via text messaging alerts. Sports, business, share prices, horoscopes, and weather are just a sample of the information that can be accessed. Speech recognition has come to the mobile phone in a big way with the introduction of wildfire and can have a significant impact on those with visual impairment. Wildfire is a female personal assistant on your mobile. Through a set of simple intuitive commands, users can instruct her to dial outgoing calls, accept incoming calls, take messages, manage contacts, route faxes, and forward calls to any phone. For example, if you ask Wildfire to dial a particular number several times, she will recognize a pattern and say, "I've noticed that you dial the same number frequently." Would you like me to create a contact for this person? And shows you how. Establishing a contact for a frequently dialed number allows you to instruct Wildfire to call that person simply by calling out a name. In addition, Wildfire screens incoming calls by announcing the caller's name, captures the caller's number for rapid message return, and provides intelligent call waiting. By whispering the caller's name in your ear, voice commands that are recognised by her include: "Give them a call," for returning a call from a message left, or "Where were we?" for reminding the user of their current task if they've forgotten what they were doing for a moment. Others include: "What are my options?" for explaining the options available in the current menu, and "Throw it away." For disposing of a voicemail message, Orange sees Wildfire as a way to humanise technology, and wean users away from the keypad and back to the spoken word. The aim is to make the user's voice the mouse, the keypad, and the remote control for anything they wish to access. Soundmate is a product aimed at those with hearing impairment. Soundmate opens up the world of digital mobile communications for the two million people in the UK who use hearing aids. Previously, these people have been unable to use digital mobile phones due to interference caused by the digital signal to their hearing aids.
It is a small, discreet device that works in a similar manner to conventional hands-free kits to enable the hard-of-hearing person to use mobile phones. A tiny microphone is easily secured onto a lapel in the optimum talk position or can be secured around the neck. The microphone also contains an inductive coil which transmits to the hearing aid so the user can hear clearly without any of the normal interference that digital mobile phones cause. The majority of hearing aids have support for the induction loop system which has been used for decades in banks, churches and other public premises to help hearing aid users cut out background noise. Ensuring the needs of all our customers and potential customers are met is high on our list of priorities, explained John Allwood, Executive Vice President, Orange UK. We have a long way to go, but are working hard to listen to disabled users and to try and meet their requirements. We need to continue to work with groups representative of those with disabilities to ensure we have an ongoing programme to develop innovative products and services that enhance communication for everyone. That is the end of side one of your tape. Please turn over to listen to side two. Free to all people with RP, Colin MacArthur. A chance to help. The research news is really positive and we are told that treatment trials are just a few years away now. The fundraising team is busy unearthing new funding possibilities with great success. However, it is of concern that one or two branches have folded recently and a branch and other donations have shown a fall from recent years. It is of paramount importance that all of us pull together to ensure that all future research projects can be funded. Also of concern is the number of people with RP who are not members of the society. With this in mind, we have put an article in the RNIB magazines that go to blind societies up and down the country, urging people with RP to join the society. We have also asked if they will assist in our efforts to fund research by making donations through gift aid and give as you earn and through our legacy leaflet, Remembering BRPS in their will. Any members who wish to get more involved with fundraising can do so by joining in their local branch activities or by contacting me on 01702 
710518. We can all reap the benefits as long as we are all prepared to sow the seeds. Eastbourne Weekend, Carol Holmes. Following the popularity of the social weekend held every November for families and friends living in the North West, I have arranged a similar weekend in Eastbourne. It will be held at the Palm Court RNIB Hotel, Eastbourne, from Saturday the 29th of March 2003 to Monday the 31st of March. That's two nights. The cost for the weekend will be £80, which includes two nights dinner, bed and breakfast, and a buffet lunch on Sunday. There will be entertainment, but the detailed programme is still to be confirmed. A deposit of £20 is required when booking. And this should be sent direct to the hotel at RNIB Palm Court Hotel, 15 Burlington Place, Eastbourne, East Sussex, BN214AR. The telephone number is 01323725811. Welfare News, Anne Fisher. The VIP Trust produces large print stationery. Such as desk diaries, address books, and an appointment calendar which hangs on the wall. The price range is £3.50 for the calendar and £6.50 for the diary. Call 01892 for your nearest stockist. Voice Diary IMP is a small and powerful personal organiser with 4 megabytes of memory giving over 90 minutes recording. It uses three AAA batteries. No loss of data or time or date when changing batteries. The clock runs off an independent battery lasting several years. The three models retail at incredibly low prices. Contact Consultancy for Visually Impaired Persons, that's CVIP Limited. On 020-8420-1338 or email icky, that's iki at cvip.co.uk. The Blind Business Association Charitable Trust, that's BBACT, have started a prime initiative for people aged 50 and over who would like to start up their own business. You can ring them with your ideas and they will give advice about any training, etc., that may be necessary. They can help you with a business plan and any finance. BBACT have helped set up many sorts of businesses, such as therapists, piano tuners, lawyers, accountants, and even web designers. The Prime Initiative has been helped by the Prince of Wales Trust and Help the Aged. Why not take the plunge and put into practice any ideas that you may have for your own business? For more information, call 01509 or email penny at bbact.org.uk. A four day course, The Sounds of Nature in Autumn, has been arranged for blind and partially sighted naturalists. You can explore the Dorset countryside and listen to and record the sounds of nature. The course is being run at the Kingcombe Centre, Dorchester, from the 21st to the 25th of October 2002. The fees are £135 for visually impaired adults and £80 for sighted partners acting as guides. Call 01300 320 684 for more details. 
The audio described version of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is now available from RNIB's customer services to rent or buy. Other titles available are Bridget Jones's Diary, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, Spy Kids and Atlantis, The Lost Empire. There will be further releases for Christmas 2002. For more information, call 08457 023153. The RNIB have just published a book, Going on Holiday. This gives ideas and suggestions for holidays at home and abroad for visually impaired people. There are RNIB hotels plus specialist hotels for visually impaired people and mainstream hotels. They do warn to be prepared for problems in mainstream hotels such as poor lighting etc but suggest that if you let the hotel know about your visual impairment beforehand it will prepare them in advance and they can then offer assistance. Call the RNIB if you have queries about guiding and funding for your holiday. For more information call 08457 023153. Action for Blind People has three hotels at Western Supermare, Tynmouth, Devon and Windermere in the Lake District. Their new Russell Hotel in Bognor Regis opens on the 3rd of August. Call AFPB on 020-7635-4800. Specs the umbrella organisation for support groups who represent any condition or syndrome with an integral eye disorder is interested to hear of any bullying of children and adults as a direct result of their visual impairment. They hope to make schools, etc., aware of the possibility that this can happen. If your child or you has come across bullying behaviour of any kind, please contact Anne on 01763 208045 or email hotmail.com. Deafblind Award the Kilburn branch of HSBC was recently presented with a deaf-blind corporate friendly award by the Princess Royal at a ceremony in Birmingham. The award was made in recognition of the Kilburn branch of HSBC's service to customers who suffer from both hearing and sight impairment. Nominations for the award are made by deaf-blind people nationwide and assessed by a panel of four deaf-blind judges. The Kilburn branch won the accolade of Best of a National Chain after being nominated by one of our members, Mark Pample. He commented that the staff of his local branch, from the manager down, are unfailing in their kind and considerate actions towards him. He is always conducted to a private office where his transactions are dealt with smoothly and efficiently. Martin Bayliss, the branch manager, on accepting the award stated, When customers give up their time to recognise our efforts, it generates pride amongst the staff, as this is the feedback that really matters to us. A recent survey by DeafBlind UK and Sense suggests that one in four DeafBlind people are going without basic food because shopping is so difficult. These two organisations are leading a joint campaign to improve the availability of services for DeafBlind people to a level that is perhaps comparable with those provided by the Kilburn branch of HSBC. Bowling along to the top. One sport in which visually impaired people have competed for many years is bowls. The Blind Bowlers Association has a large membership, but it is quite exciting when we hear that a person with advanced RP has risen to the top at county level amongst fully sighted bowlers. Michael Downer, an active member of our Hampshire branch, 
has become the first registered blind bowler to be capped for Hampshire. To be more precise, he has been awarded his Hampshire short match badge. Michael has been playing outdoor bowls for about 10 years, most of this time against fully sighted players and has risen to the top of his chosen sport in spite of advanced RP. He relies upon information from sighted colleagues in the Hampshire short mat team on the position of bowls adjacent to the jack using the clock system. E.g. a bowl might be described as being 12 inches at 4 o'clock relative to the jack. In his club championships against sighted players, Michael has twice reached the semi-finals as well as being a finalist in the pairs. We hear many stories of this kind and they go to prove that a person with RP should never give up having a go. You don't know what you might achieve until you try. I seem to recall that this same branch also has an international gold medalist blind water skier. Retinal Awareness Group, RAG, Weekend, by Dennis Haig. Plans are well in hand for our 2003 weekend, which will once again be held at the Hotel Sheraton in Blackpool. This hotel provides excellent food, accommodation and facilities. The weekend commences at 2.45pm on Friday the 21st of March through to 1pm Sunday the 23rd of March after a traditional roast lunch. Our keynote speaker will be Professor Alan Bird of Moorfields Eye Hospital. There will be an exhibition of low vision aids, i.e. computers, CCTVs, software programmes etc. which will be run throughout the weekend. Discussion groups and lectures on practical aspects of living with RP and MD will be part of the programme. All those with retinal and associated dystrophies, such as macular dystrophies, usher, LMB, etc., together with their family and friends, will be most welcome to join us. There will be plenty of time to relax and enjoy the company of other people with similar conditions. For more information, please send a stamped addressed envelope to Dennis Haig, 23 Holland Gardens, Fleet, Hans GU139NE or telephone Margaret Townsend on 01727-758-636. Parent Link Group by Beryl Duggan. The main topic of this year's meeting held at Blackpool on the 19th of April was the advantages of statementing. We were very fortunate to have Mr Tony Macquarie, Principal of St Vincent's School for the Blind and Partially Sighted, accompanied by Jenny and Di, both teachers at St Vincent's in Liverpool. Tony, Jenny and Di explained in detail all the benefits from every aspect of children with a visual impairment who may require to be statemented, and what, as a parent, we should be aware of in assisting a child with a visual impairment. They explained the commitments the school has in providing the correct support for each individual child, the importance of continually reviewing the needs of the child in case of any changes that may occur in both the need of the child and the availability of any special equipment that may be beneficial to assist at school. The evening session was very relaxed. The parents met in a group discussing many topics openly from education to daily living skills, hobbies, mobility training and employment. It was a very hectic but rewarding weekend. I would like to thank all parents who attended and look forward to meeting you all again next year. If any parent would like to join our meeting, they would be most welcome. 
or they can make contact with me on 01244 680463. That's PM. Branch News. Cambridge Branch, Marion Mansfield. Our finest garden party yet was held at Thriplow, Cambridge in early July and was a great success. Not only was the weather hot and sunny, but as a bonus, our event coincided with the Imperial War Museum air show event nearby. To our surprise, we were entertained with veteran aircraft, mosquitoes, spitfires, Lancasters and the famous Memphis Bell. In between the air displays, we enjoyed fine food and wine and raised a mega £500. Our next event is the City Collection on the 14th of September. Cambridge is a beautiful city, full of architecture and interest to visitors. Our city centre, where we have our collection, is traffic-free and boasts unusual shops, street entertainers and pavement cafes. If you're outside the area, why not spend a day as a tourist and give an hour to collect for BRPS, and of course to meet the team. Contact is Maureen Leach on 01763 208 496. Our AGM is the 9th of October and we have a jumble sale on the 19th of October. Some late news. Arsenal ex-professionals take on a Celebrity eleven on the 10th of November at Cambridge City Football Stadium to raise funds for BRPS. Thanks for this go to Andrew Hall and Texaco. Rumour has it there will be big names and talent supporting BRPS. Can you? There will be sideshows, majorettes, penalty shootouts and much more. For details, contact Andrew Hall on 01223 832 873. Best wishes from the Cambridge team. Croydon Branch, Joan Rakangna. Our next BRPS meeting will be an important one as we are having a researcher discussing stem cell research. This will be an informative and educational session and we hope to see as many members as possible, not just from Croydon branches, but also from other branches as well. There has been lot, a lot of progress made in gene therapy and stem cell research. This meeting will be held on a Saturday in September 2002 at 2pm in the committee room at Purley Memorial Hospital, Brighton Road, Purley. Details to be sent out to branch members nearer the date. Volunteers are always needed for collections. For more information, contact Joan on 020-8660-8164 Devon and Cornwall branch, Carmel Harford Summer fundraising started at 6.30am on May the 4th at the May Fair in Saltash. A photo shows committee members Pat Ball, Yvonne Burns, Jenny Rose, Carmel and Graham Harford. John Ball was photographer for the day. Touchwood Productions donated proceeds from their production of Oliver, which was a wonderful show attended by Pat Ball, Carmel and their grandchildren. Mrs Joyce Cook opened her garden to the public on June the 2nd, Jubilee weekend, at Allet in Truro. All proceeds from the sale of plants went to the branch. Member Mrs Bridget Hudson and family supplied cakes and cream teas on the day, for which we thank them all. Store collections are being manned again by the faithful few. Please can we have some more help? By the time you hear our news, plans will be in hand for the Christmas lunch in Exeter. Hope to see as many members as possible. Best wishes to all the other branches. Dorset Branch, David Walsh. It must be summer. I'm hot and the sun is shining, but I'm thinking about the branch's open coffee morning in October. 
This will take place on Saturday the 26th of October 2002, as usual, at the Garland Road Day Centre, Garland Road, Poole, commencing at 11am. Meanwhile, my mind goes back to the branches AGM, where the members enjoyed the talk given by Julie Chivers from the Royal Bournemouth Hospital and Mr H Chisholm from Southampton General Hospital. Special thanks must be given to Brian Root for donating a crate of wine to the branch. I was amazed that during the first three months of the year, the branch had raised £3,000 for the research fund. Personally, I'm still hoping to hear from members on how best to involve more of our members to partake in the activities of the branch. Meanwhile, where have I put the corkscrew? Essex and Suffolk branch, Val Banwell. Global warming may have resulted in soggy summers, but the miserable weather doesn't seem to have dampened the fundraising activities of our members here in Essex and Suffolk. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we seem to have had wall-to-wall support this summer, what with football, tennis and so on. You may have guessed, I don't do sport. I may not do sport, but I'm planning to get my walking boots on when we mark RP Week in Essex by holding a sponsored walk along Southend Seafront. Colin has the arrangements well in hand. The date has been fixed for the 29th of September. We will be walking from Thorpe Bay to the Old Ship Pub in Leon Sea. A buffet will be provided at the Old Ship as an inducement to participants. Colin is arranging for appropriately important people to be at the finishing bar. I hope to make the acquaintance of the Mayor of Southend and the local MP David Ames. I hope they are handy with the elastoplasts. Proceeds could be boosted radically if anyone can persuade their employer to match funds raised by a team representing the company. Could it be you? On the 29th of June, a charity fund-raising event was held at Ingatestone Hall by Essex member Dr Kunzru. Our branch was pleased to accept the opportunities to take two stalls at the event and raised £170. Thanks to Linda, Keith, Margaret and Ted for the hard work they put into it and to Dr Kunzru for including RP in the day. All this talk of sport is making me tired. Another member, Shaney Carey's cycle ride around Little Tottenham, has also raised £400 and there is more to come when she receives half the proceeds of other riders. Well done, Shaney. Suffolk members are coming up trumps now. Tracy Baker from Woodbridge has secured a donation of £1,000 from her local Lions Club. If Tracy can make Lions part with large sums of money, we'd all better look out. Great, Tracy. In the last branch news, I reported that Colin had acquired funding for recording equipment so that we may record our local newsletter on tape for people who would like to receive it in this format. The equipment has now been purchased and the newsletter may now be received on tape. If you wish to receive your local news sheet on tape, please contact me or Colin or the committee member of your choice. The research news is becoming increasingly exciting, so I wish you all good fortune in our push to find a cure for RP. Hampshire Branch, Martin Mulholland. The collection year is now in full swing, and we've just had a great day out in Winchester. Thanks to a large band of collectors, which meant we ran out of tabards, we had 14, we managed to collect £1,581. We'd been allocated the same date as the annual hat fair, which meant that our collectors were squeezed between groups of street entertainments and kept amused, if sometimes by dubious acts. 
We're not sure if the hat fair helped, but we certainly had a good collecting day, and a big thank you goes to all our collectors. Also, since the last report, we have raised £1,111 in Newbury, £649 in Basingstoke, £840 in Fleet, and £674 at Hedge End Hypermarket. Overall, our collection revenues are down on last year, but I continue to be amazed by the enthusiasm and stamina of our organisers and mainstay collectors. We continue to receive money from hard-working independent fundraising members, for which we are most grateful. Two more dates for local members' diaries. The first is Saturday the 21st of September, our last town collection of the year in Romsey. This is a must for the lads, who all have ambitions to catch Charlie Dimmock as she comes out of Waitrose with her shopping. The second date is Saturday the 19th of October, our AGM, with Dr John Gill as the main speaker and a demonstration from Portset Systems. We look forward to seeing as many as possible there, as this is such an excellent opportunity for members from all of our area to meet and socialise. Hope you all had an excellent summer. Martin on 01962-711-337. Hearts and South Beds Branch, Fred Foley. Our branch AGM was held on 6th of July 2002 and all officers and members were re-elected except for Stan and Kath who called it a day and stepped down from the committee. We wish them all the best and thank them for their hard work over the years. They assure us they'll still shake a tin from time to time. We are getting a bit depleted so if anyone out there wishes to help we'd love to hear from you. A cheque for £500 was presented on behalf of Mr Walter Roddy, Master of the Kensington Battalion Lodge, number 3624, who nominated the RP charity for a year. A cheque for £635 was received from Lance and Andrea Cannon on behalf of the Lindslade community, Leighton Buzzard, who held a midsummer ball, becoming part of the community calendar and is supported by local businesses who donated raffle prizes. Also, a cheque for £480 from Kate Fornham, our chairman, who is fundraising by selling weekenders' clothes to groups of ladies in their homes or village halls, community centres. Anyone interested in finding out more about this way of fundraising can contact Kate, who lives in Hemel Hempstead, on 01442 258 one three four. Well done and a big thank you to everyone. Our meeting was rounded off with a fish and chip supper and a selection of homemade trifle, cheesecakes, Ken's homegrown strawberries and cream, wine and coffee. An excellent time was had by all. Get well wishes go to John from us all. Hull Sub Branch, David Stevens. Hull Subbranch has been busy this summer so far with collections at the Prince's Quay, which amounted to £589. Tesco's Superstore was £460. I would like to thank all my colleagues, along with their super guide dogs, who have helped to make these a great success. Also, once again, Jane England of Hessel has raised £830 in another 10-pin bowling evening. Thanks to Jane and all who helped her with this event. London Branch, Matthew Tagney. The London branch were delighted that so many people, including a large number of young people, came to the London launch garden party on the 6th of July. Everyone seemed highly enthusiastic about the new branch and future events. The setting was beautiful and the sun shone. 
Funky music was supplied by Anne Fisher's husband Clive and his band Misspent Youth. A big thank you. And we raised a lot more money than we predicted. We're all still counting on our fingers and toes and taking away essential costs, but it came to several hundred pounds. Thanks, London. Midlands branch, Rita Nichols. A big hello from the Midlands branch in this, our 25th year. We are doing the usual fundraising events, but no doubt, like many other branches, we seem to be finding harder and harder. Any ideas out there? We did have a very interesting speaker at our March meeting, a gentleman called Ian Pearson. He is the first blind person in the Midlands to become a JP. He has RP. He told us of his struggles, frustrations and sheer determination to achieve his lifelong ambition. He certainly fights his corner for blind people in many other important and controversial areas. We need more people like him. Our AGM was held in June and all of our officers were re-elected for another year. As a branch, we seem to be struggling in our attempts to involve our younger members and I find this trend quite worrying. Whilst our stalwart members are always there, we are not establishing support for the future and if this trend continues, branches will just dry up. Could it be that the younger ones can find what they want on the internet and do not feel that intercommunication with others through meetings is for them? Is it lifestyle changes? I don't know the answer, but I would like to hear from other branches on this subject. Meanwhile, I hope that the rest of the summer is better than it is as I sit writing this. And may you all have an enjoyable one. South Wales Branch, Catherine Evans. A successful informal meeting was held at the Ivy Bush Hotel Carmarthen on the 16th of June 2002. Three new families present from West Wales showed much appreciation in having a meeting in the area and were enthusiastic in sharing their thoughts for future contact. It was stressed that we did not want to create a new branch, but needed fundraisers for the area. In response to this request, Hoylwyn Horwells is now a fundraiser for Carmarthen and Carol Evans and Marilyn Rees for Cardigan. Contact numbers are Hoylwyn on 0199444842. Two oh six Marilyn O one two three nine six one two one O four Future meetings are to be held at two PM on Sundays eighth of September Ivy Bush Hotel Carmarthen twenty second of September Constitutional Club Neath eighth of December Ivy Bush Hotel Carmarthen Christmas Buffet Lunch 26th of January 2003, Constitutional Club, Neath, New Year Buffet Lunch. All our members who travelled to London to the AGM all had a very enjoyable day. Many thanks to Trevor, our driver, who once again transported us safely. The meeting was very informative and it was encouraging to hear of all the good works being undertaken by the research workers on our behalf and I am sure that there will be many advances in the future. West of Scotland branch, Ian McLennigan. In the summer branch report, I told you of the hard work being done by a branch member and her guide dog called Daisy, as they trained in and around the district of Combonold. I can now tell you the outcome of all this exercise. 
The Sunday of the May weekend holiday turned up trumps more ways than one for Anne Stewart and her family. The sky was blue and the sun was shining, and I'm not kidding, when the fundraising walk, organised by the Cumbernauld and Kilsyth Rotary, encouraged over 200 walkers and joggers to raise funds for their favourite charity. This annual event uses the safe stretch of canal path from Bowling to Twetchar, with the final 14-mile leg finishing at Grangemouth in West Lothian. Anne was accompanied by her son Gavin, her sister Jeanette and brother-in-law Martin, who all successfully completed the final 14-mile stage. Gavin's employers, a pub near Earl's Court in London, generously added to what his fellow workmates contributed by adding a further donation of £600. Despite a good night out with some of his friends, he arrived home safely and in good shape to complete the walk with his family, although the poor old feet did require some first aid at the halfway stage. To date, they have jointly collected a magnificent £1,400 towards the research fund. What a magnificent effort! The simultaneous decision made by the trustees of the Society to remove funding and Hilary Davis's decision to withdraw from the weekly voluntary work she has undertaken for the past six and a half years at Gart Naval General Hospital's RP clinic is going to be a great miss to those who have already met her and to the many others who have yet to get an appointment. The branch sincerely thank her for all the work she has done so diligently on our behalf, both in the branch and at the hospital. Woking and District Branch, Dot Smith. Hello everyone, here's our latest news. Sue Sims managed to complete her 50th birthday challenge by climbing Helvellyn, Striding Edge, in the Lake District, in spite of the most appalling weather conditions. We listened with a mixture of admiration, fear and excitement, as at our meeting in July, Sue recalled her adventure. Our congratulations and thanks go to Sue, who hopes to have raised between £600 and £700 for RP. Would she do it again? We'll just have to wait and see. Thanks also to the Staines Congregational Church Ladies' Fellowship for their generous donation of £250. You will recall that we were their charity for the year. On my return from holiday, I was delighted to find a donation from Andrew Sexton, who ran in the Fleet Half Marathon, and raised the amazing sum of £550 for RP. Well done, Andrew, and thank you once again. As you can see, members and non-members alike have been working hard in our area to raise funds in support of RP, and we hope this, together with our usual store and town centre collections, will raise a record sum this year. Our AGM will be on Saturday the 9th of November at St Dunstan's Church Hall in Woking and we're delighted to say that our speaker this year will be Professor John Marshall, so make a note in your diaries. On the social side, we have Skittles on Saturday the 5th of October at the Surrey Cricketers in Windlesham. Details in our newsletter, but if you'd like to come, please ring Lorraine on 01784 245 214. You'll be very welcome. We are also arranging a Christmas meal for December. Details are not available as I submit this item, July, but watch out for information in our newsletter or ring Lorraine for details. Help is urgently needed for our collections at Bentall's in Kingston on Sunday the 6th of October and Woking Town Centre on Saturday the 23rd of November. Can you spare an hour? If so, please contact Valerie on 01252 725 622. Letters from Barbara Norton in Bedford and Hilary Davis in Glasgow. BRPS services at Moorfields and Gart Naval Hospitals.
The trustees of BRPS have decided to discontinue funding the two hospital counselling services for people with RP and related retinal dystrophies. It is the trustees' view that such services should be funded by health or social services. Over the last 11 years, these services have been offered by unpaid workers and BRPS has refunded the associated expenses. For six years, a Department of Health grant covered the Moorfields costs. All other attempts to acquire central or local government funding have been unsuccessful. As many people know, the welfare needs of visually impaired people are not a high priority for state funding. Every effort is being made at Moorfields to fund the continuation of Barbara Norton's work there. The outcome is not clear at this point and Barbara has been on sick leave after breaking an ankle. The service at Gart Naval has come to an end. Hilary Davis has decided to move on to other areas of work and no funding is currently available should a suitably qualified successor be found to join the clinic team. Both Hilary and Barbara have been working in multidisciplinary teams. They have helped address the emotional and practical needs of people when faced with a diagnosis of RP and associated retinal dystrophies. Many people have placed great value on the help received from these counselling services. It is hoped that in the future that more funding priority will be given to meet the needs of those who value such help. From Eva Scarrett, Workington. I was interested to hear the article in the summer newsletter from the lady driver who had won her appeal against the DVLA after her licence had been withdrawn. I was surprised that there was no mention of poor night vision, which usually accompanies RP. Also, there was no mention of the field required in degrees. Could the rules and regulations regarding this subject be aired in the next edition of the newsletter? Editor's note. This is a tricky one, Eva and there are limits to how much I should comment in the newsletter to avoid the risk of misleading people. The decision is made by an ophthalmologist who will consider all aspects of this complex condition RP, which so many variations in its effects, rate of deterioration and so on. There are some basic rules set down by the DVLA, but these seem to be subject to some flexibility in interpretation. One aspect that helps many people with RP is that vertical field loss is considered less serious than horizontal field loss. The following paragraph describes the basic acceptable standards set out in the rules. It begins in clearly understood layman's language, but then it leaves me behind, and the spell check on my word processor is complaining of a headache. A field of vision of at least 120 degrees on the horizontal, measured using the Goldman 1114E setting or equivalent. In addition, there should be no significant defect in the binocular field which encroaches within 20 degrees of fixation above or below the meridian. This means that homonymous or bitemporal defects which come close to fixation, whether hemianopic or quadrantonopic, are not accepted as safe for driving. Subject to strict criteria, drivers who have been driving for many years with static fields defects which do not satisfy the standard and who have non-progressive eye conditions can be considered on an individual basis. It goes on to state in Amendment 2 that in the case of RP the following defects measured using an Esterman chart will generally be regarded as acceptable central loss in the area within 20 degrees of fixation. 1. Scattered single missed points, two, a single cluster of two or three contiguous missed points.
If you have been refused a license and feel that you might be eligible to apply, the best plan is to contact the medical section of DVLA and ask for guidance on the procedure. They are on 01792-761-119. Next newsletter. Items for inclusion in the next newsletter, winter 2002, must be with the editor by 10th of October 2002. The editor's address is Mr S. D. Higgins, 54 Paddock Road, Newbury, Barks, RG 14 7DG. That is the end of the newsletter. Please do not return the tape to the BRPS office. <laughs>